Good evening, everybody. Um, my name is Matt Holland. I'm on staff here with the rest of these guys. And uh, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm going to introduce the speaker tonight. And it just so happens, yeah, it just so happens this is my all-time favorite speaker that we've ever had at Paradigm in all of history. Uh, it's actually my favorite speaker of all speakers. Um, this is my wife, Julie Holland. Yeah, you should have heard how hard I was clapping on the way up here. Um, so anyway, before I introduce her further, I'm going to tell you a quick story. I grew up in a Christian home, had godly parents, um, went to church all the time. Some of you guys can relate, some of you can't. Uh, but I had no personal thoughts toward God. I had no desire to follow him or to even know him. or, or I just went to church because I would get grounded if I didn't go. And uh, once I got into college, where many of you guys are at, I just quit going to church. I didn't really care the whole time, so I just was going off to do my own thing. And um, after I finished college, I was really far from the Lord now, and uh, I moved off to the Caribbean, down to the Virgin Islands, and I just lived uh, exactly how I wanted to live, uh, just taking part in everything the world had to offer. And uh, from some people's opinion or eyes, I, was, I had it made. I was like living on a boat. I was a, became a boat captain. I'm just laying on the beach all the time, uh, just doing what other people saved up money to retire. You know, I was doing it and living it up in my young age. And um, but suddenly, one day, my back got hurt, and I couldn't walk for a couple of days. And um, I didn't have a specific injury. I didn't have anything wrong. I just suddenly, you know, couldn't walk. And uh, so I was in my room. And uh, I can tell you a longer story later, but I started reading the Bible. I wasn't trying to be religious or change. I just, I just was bored and had nowhere to go, and I was stuck. So I was reading the Bible, and I read that God was perfect and that people were not. We were separated from God because of our sin, because of our choice, because of our rebellion. And we not just, not only did we sin against God, but we offended him. We spit in his face, and we said no. You know, the stars and the, and the heavens, you know, obediently leapt into existence when he said, let there be light. And we said no to him. You know, uh, we're like probably the only things in the universe that disobeyed him. But we did, and I, and I was disobeying him every day of my life. Uh, but I started to read the Bible, and that's when I started to see that I was not perfect. And I didn't, I knew I wasn't perfect, but I started to see that I was how much of a sinner I was. And I cried out to God and I asked Him uh, to help me. I didn't even want to turn from my sin, but I asked Him to help me want to turn from my sin. And uh, it wasn't until a few days later, maybe a few weeks, I don't really remember, but I was reading my Bible, I was starting to get better, and I read Romans 5 1. Some of you may know that verse. Uh, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that was when I believed the gospel. That's when I simply trusted in Jesus to save me by faith, not by anything I could do. I just trusted in Jesus. And that was about eight years ago. And um, so before I was afflicted, I went astray. But, then, um, but now I've kept your word. Psalm 1967 and 71 says, um, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. 
Psalm 119.71. And 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Right? So we know that he's even faithful to bring that affliction in my life. And then Psalm 119.92, unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So I'm thankful that the Lord brought me through hard times. He was actually faithful to bring me through hard times so that he could get my attention and that I would turn to him. And so God is faithful. So some of you out there right now are in a hard time and struggling with something. And just know that God is faithful. He's faithful, whether your times are good or times are bad. And so if you haven't heard of Jesus, if you haven't been following him, if you have a sin in your life that you need to turn from, if you have a doubt in your mind about who Jesus is, you can trust that God is faithful. And you can put your faith and trust in him. You don't have to feel a certain way. You don't have to be good enough. You simply have to use the mind that God gave you to decide that you're going to follow Jesus and you can put that will into effect and follow him. That's how you come to faith in Jesus. It's not an emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thing. It's just simply trusting him for what he said. So he said, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you haven't called upon the name of the Lord tonight, she's going to talk a little bit more about that later. And uh, I urge you and I implore you, uh, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Turn from sin and trust in God. Okay, so let me pray for her. Father, we, well, I love her, and, uh, but we love her too, I think. If you know Julie, you love her, and uh, God, I just pray you would use her tonight. Don't let it, even her gifts, Lord, as gifted as she is and as great as she is, Lord, don't even let her gifts shine tonight. I pray you would shine through her. God, I pray your, uh, your word would shine. I pray Jesus would shine. I pray you would just show up in a mighty way, speak to us, God, and we just give this night to you, and uh, thank you for Julie. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, um, it's really good to be here tonight. I love Paradigm, and I love um, getting to be here. And tonight, we're going to talk about hope. So, the pandemic last year, as you know, it came in waves of bad news, right? First, spring break was canceled. Then the semester was canceled. Then graduation was canceled. Then your internships were canceled. Then summer activities were canceled. You know, it was just waves of disappointment for a while there. It got kind of rough. And um, some of you have also experienced bad news that comes as like a big sudden shock. You know, um, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And a lot of times when that happens, there are these little details that just are burned in your mind. Like you remember exactly where you were and who told you and just little things about it. And that's how 9-11 is for me. I know y'all weren't, weren't around for that, but I, it was so shocking. You know, it was just so sudden and so tragic. And everyone just walked around like a zombie, you know, trying to wrap their mind around the great loss um, that had happened and, you know, many of us have experienced loss this year in various levels, you know, different ways, different degrees, um, some kind of minor, but some really major. And tonight, we're going to look in the Bible at a book that's about loss. Um, it's the book of Lamentations, and it was written under really bad circumstances, so it's one of those little tiny books in the Old Testament that you can miss if you like blink at the wrong time when you're flipping through. It's only five chapters long, but it's nestled between some of the major prophets and it was written by one of those guys. It was written by Jeremiah. It's right after Jeremiah. So um, 
I'm going to give you like a, just a little rundown on Jeremiah and what was happening here. So Jeremiah was this prophet. He was given a really tough assignment at an early age, and it never got easier. He spent his whole life in ministry warning the people of God in the city of Jerusalem that judgment was coming because God's people were, were disobeying him. And Jeremiah kept trying to tell him. He's like, I've been trying to tell you. He's like, look, you, you say you're God's people, but you're not listening to him. You're not doing what he says. You're, and it's just not going to work. He's just telling him it's not, that doesn't work. It's not going to work. And he kept trying to tell them. And they didn't want to hear about it, you know. So Jeremiah got pretty roughed up a lot. He was thrown in prison. He was put in stocks, you know, like Colonial Williamsburg, like with your arms and your legs. And he was thrown in a pit. He was, like, left in a dungeon. He's actually known as the weeping prophet, and it's not because he's dramatic. It's because, like, his life was legit very rough. So, you know, God was using him and and a bunch of other prophets, too, to call his people back to himself. And he's like, come back to me. God's pleading with his people. Come back to me. I want to forgive you, like he still does today. I want to forgive you. I want to be right with you. I love you. Come back to me. Come back to me. And they just were not having it. They weren't having it. And so finally... Sure enough, destruction comes. It was in the form of King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, and he was a bad mamma jamma. And he came in, and he, like, obliterated Jerusalem. I mean, it was, it was bad. And Jeremiah was also living through all of those traumatic unfolding consequences. He saw the whole thing. So the book of Lamentations um, is actually a carefully crafted poem that describes the funeral of his city. And Jeremiah was like really grieved about what had happened because, you know, even if you didn't like those people very much, you know, if you had witnessed this cruel attack, you would have been really, like it was tragic. You would have been really messed up about it. But these were Jeremiah's people. Like this was his neighbor and his relatives and his friends. And this event was the whole thing that he had tried to prevent. You know, this was like what he was always about, trying to prevent, and now it's happening. So he's just devastated. I mean, it was rough, you know? So the book, the whole book is mourning over this lost city and and the destruction that has happened. But we're going to pick up in chapter three tonight. And in chapter three, it takes a really personal turn. So up till now, Jeremiah's been writing in third person. He's like, telling about everything that happened. But now, Jeremiah starts writing in first person. And it's like the destruction that he's seeing all around him is becoming devastating inside him. And he just pours out his heart. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to read a little chunk because I want you to get um, the feel for it. And I got to tell you, it's heavy, okay? It's heavy. So we're going to pick up in Lamentations 3, 5. I think it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along if you want to. Um, so, and then we'll skip around a little bit. But Lamentations 3, 5 says, He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. 
He has walled in my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Okay, now we're going to skip down to verse 15, and we're going to read through 33. Yeah, 33. Okay, so verse 15. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say, my strength has perished, and so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Now verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. Okay, so there's bad days. And then there's bad years. And then there's this. Like, this is really next level. Um, And as you can see, Jeremiah has begun to take his circumstances very personally. He has beef, and his beef is with God. So this is the crazy part to me. He doesn't make these, like, anonymous or passive statements. You know, he doesn't say, my bones have been broken, my skin is wasting, I am made desolate. Honestly, I think that's what I would have said. It's a little less aggressive, a little less harsh. But Jeremiah, he does not hold back. He says, he comes right out with it. He has broken my bones. He has caused my skin to waste away, and he has made me desolate. And the he is in reference to God. He has broken my teeth on gravel. Did you catch that? Yikes. I mean, tell us how you feel, bruh. It's like intense. So that's intense. But as you probably noticed, the passage takes a major turn in verse 21. And the reason why we're looking at this passage tonight is because Jeremiah has this big complaint against God. And in this, in this chapter, he, in these verses, he resolves his complaint, and it shows how he holds on to hope in the midst of these difficult circumstances. So after detailing the horror of his situation, Jeremiah remembers something that gives him hope. And he remembers who the Lord is. And it's like the whole passage changes keys. Some of you are not musicians, but you do not have to be a musician to appreciate a good key change. Um, Everyone can appreciate one. It's when you're singing a song, you're just singing along, and suddenly the song gets higher, and you want to, like, start pumping your fist in the air. That's a key change. Um, One time when Matt and I were dating, we were on our way to some friend's house for dinner, and we started talking about key changes. I was telling Matt about them. Matt, um had a really short but great musical career. He played a triangle solo in sixth grade and like left on a high note, literally, and then went on to greatness in other areas. But so I was like telling him about key changes. It was an important part of our dating relationship. And, 
And we're just having a great time. You know, he's getting it, and, he, and he, we're, like, practicing in the car, and it's just it's going great. And then we realize we're, like, three miles past our exit, and we're late to our friend's house, and it's sort of embarrassing. So we're not going to, like, do a long seminar on this tonight because I don't want us to go three miles too far. But I do want to give you one example. And I want you to know I ran this example by my friend, Dr. Jennifer Slater, who is a music professor. And she agreed that it's totally epic. So... It's called, this song is called Will You Be There by Michael Jackson, King of Pop. And you've never heard of it. It's one of his lesser-known masterpieces. And it's in a movie called Free Willy, which you've also never heard of, um, where this little boy rescues an orca whale from an amusement park because they're going to, like, do bad stuff to him, and it's going to be bad. Uh, let me just tell you, the, the lyrics in the song... I mean, I don't get them at all. They're way over my head. And there's, like, the, the movie itself... Mediocre. And there's, there's, I mean, I'm just saying, you watch it and you tell me it's not mediocre. And then there's this, like, gospel choir singing backup. I have no idea where they came from. But there are, like, five key changes in a row in this song. And I'm just telling you, it does not matter how you feel at the beginning of the song. By the end of the song, you will want to go break some wheels out of jail. And do other great stuff. And if you don't, there's probably something wrong with you because it takes you on this emotional journey. And you, I mean, it causes your heart to soar. And I wanted to play it for you, but it's really long. You have to listen to the whole thing to get the full effect. So you're just going to have to listen to it later. It's called Will You Be There? And then you'll be like, yes, Lamentations 3, I get it. Because that is what is happening in this chapter. Um, you know, we started out really low. Things were bad. But in verse 21, there's this key change, and there's several more after that, and it causes your heart to soar. It changes the way you feel about everything, and it, like, causes you to view your circumstances differently. That is hope. Okay, so verse 21 is the first major key change. And Jer we said, Jeremiah remembers who the Lord is and, the, and it changes everything. So basically, we're gonna walk through the verses and there's gonna be like two lists. There's like a list about who God is and then a list about who we should, how we should respond to him. That's in case you like organization or you're taking notes. Um, so let me just tell you, it's really critical that we know who God is. And God wants us to know who he is. He has revealed himself throughout scripture and he wants us to know. But most of the time, people start with their circumstances and then based on what's happening to them, either good or bad, they decide who God is. But I mean, as you know, that's not who God is. I mean, God isn't who someone says he is or who someone thinks he is. God is who God says he is. So in order to have a true perception of reality, to know what's really going on, we have to start with who God says he is and interpret our circumstances in light of that, of, of who God is. Um, and these verses tell us several things about who God is. So the first one is his loving kindness. Um, that's in verse 22. Jeremiah remembers the Lord's loving kindness. Your Bible might say um, steadfast love or faithful love. And it's an Old Testament covenant word. This is an Old Testament covenant word. It's, a, it's like a Bible original. In other words, like God made it up to describe himself. And, it, and it's like a, a word that we don't really have a word for. That's why it's a compound word. But it means like God's commitment to his people. So it could also be translated 
promised loyalty or like permanent affection, but the idea is that God has promised to always love his people, even when they break their covenant with him by disobeying him, his loving kindness is not compromised. So, you know, sometimes when things get rough, we start to wonder if God's loyalty or love towards us has changed, but this promise ends the question because being in covenant with him, in our case, by believing in Christ and giving our lives to him means that he has a protective interest in us. He's at work to show himself loving and faithful on our behalf. And then the next one, verse 22, also tells us that he's compassionate. His compassions never fail. So there is no suffering that is too great for God to comfort. And there's also no suffering that's too small for God to comfort. Um, He's here for it. 2 Corinthians 1.5 tells us that the more we suffer, the more we have the opportunity to experience his comfort because he extends it proportionally. He like gives it as needed. And then it says, great is his faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13 is a really good verse about God's faithfulness. It says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, he can never be anything but faithful because that's who he is. So he tells us he's faithful. And then all through the Bible, you know, we get to see examples of God's faithfulness to people, um, how he comes through for people when things look really bad. You know, he does it over and over. And you could think of a ton of examples, like think about um, Ruth and David and Daniel, um, Jairus in the New Testament, and like a whole bunch of lepers, right? Um, And if that doesn't get you there, then just go ask a living Christian, Because if you walk with God for very long, you will have a story about his faithfulness. He just can't be anything else. He is faithful, like Matt was talking about. And then verse 24, moving on, says that he is our portion or our inheritance. And we can have hope when we remember that he is enough. Um, God is not a vending machine. So we don't like insert our BCM attendance and our Christian t-shirt count and our scripture memory list, and then select a good life, you know? I mean, we know that's not true. But even though we know that's not true, sometimes we're tempted to feel ripped off during trials, you know? Like, why is this happening to me? Um, I have been to Falls Creek a bunch of times. Why is this happening to me, you know? And that attitude reveals that we're seeking something else. Maybe our goal is happiness or success or a good life, but we have other expectations and God wants us to know that he is enough. He wants to show us that. And he is our portion, sufficient to meet all of our deepest needs and desires. He wants us to know that. During trials, there's also a temptation to believe that God is not completely good because we, we subconsciously think, well, you know, if bad things are happening and if God is in charge, then that like reflects on him, you know? Um, But the truth is that God is good. Everything good is because of God. He is abundantly good. In other words, like there's a lot of his goodness. But in addition to the quantity, it's really helpful, I think, to think about the quality of his goodness. Because his goodness is pure. Like he is completely good with no bad in the mix. And his goodness is powerful because of its purity. It's, it's never been compromised. 
He is the only thing that remains completely good. So he has not promised goodness in anything but himself. You know, like your life could be actually really terrible and your circumstances might be very, very bad, but God is still good. His goodness doesn't change. Um, For those of us who know Christ, the Lord, he's like directing all of this goodness towards us. This like giant, pure goodness is directed towards you. You know, he longs and loves to do good for you. But I mean, the bad stuff. So there's still bad stuff, you know, like what about the bad stuff? Well, the effects of sin and the pervasive influence of evil are always going to reach us while we're on the earth. Um, And that can come in the form of consequences to your own sin, but that can also be other people sinning towards you, you know, and you're just um, mistreated and sinned against and you didn't deserve that, you know? Or it could just be something about the decay and sickness of the physical body um, due to sin's curse. But no matter what is happening around us, his goodness is the same. So I actually had shingles this week. You can kind of see them, but don't look. Um, Shingles are bad. Shingles are really bad. But God is still good. Like he is all the good in life, you know? So Jeremiah remembers these things. He remembers the Lord's loving kindness, his compassion, his faithfulness, that he's our portion, and that he's good. And then beginning in verse 25, we see how to respond to God's character. And in summary, the response is to pursue him. And there's a promise. It says, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So the verbs there, depend and search, right? So keep looking for him and trusting him. And then verse 26 says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Salvation here means rescue. And we use the word wait in various um, ways, you know, but the meaning here is to expect. So to wait is to expect. Um, and, it's, and it's a heart attitude. It's a heart attitude more than an action. It does not mean that you cancel all your activities and just sit in your bed eating a bag of Cheetos. You know, that's not what it means. But it does mean that you expect the Lord to intervene on your behalf, to help you and to speak to your situation. And you continue to seek his presence and ask him to do that instead of becoming hardened or numb. Um, So the hardest thing about waiting on God is waiting. It's really hard. Um, And especially if it takes more than a minute, which it does quite a lot of the time. Um, I had to wait for Matt for a long time, you know, my husband. And he was just out living his Pirates of the Caribbean dreams. And I was like just aging. And, you know, you can start to feel like God forgot you. That's one thing that can happen. I didn't actually feel that way because I was uh, spending a lot of time reminding God. So I wasn't worried about that. I was like, daily reminder, God, I'm still single. I still don't love it. So I wasn't worried about that. But there's another pitfall that can happen. You can start to think that Like, so you can start to think God forgot you, or you can start to think that maybe God needs your help. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, you know, sometimes when you're waiting on God, 
um, he will lead you to do something, and that's really good. You should always do what he leads you to do. But sometimes he doesn't lead you to do something, and you just think, I could help God help me, you know? I could just, like, get the ball rolling for him, you know? And I could just, like, get some stuff going, and then he could, like, kind of take it from there. Let me tell you something. God does not need your help. He can handle himself. When it is time to act, he will act, and he can do anything. So... Waiting might seem like it's a passive thing, you know, like you just have to like sit around with Cheetos, but waiting is not passive. It is an active expectation and a choice to trust God that he's helping you and he will help you instead of helping yourself. And then in verse 27, it says, um, it's good to bear the yoke while we are young. Another translation says, It is good for people to submit at an early age to the yoke of discipline. What does that mean? Well, it means the sooner we learn how to trust God when life is hard, the better it will be for us. And Jeremiah is speaking from experience here because he's known God for a long time, since he was young. And he's saying, like, you've got to learn that God is faithful in every circumstance. You've got to learn this because if you only walk with God when your life is going like, exactly according to your plan and going really well, or, or when you feel like it, if you walk with God when you feel like it, you're not going to walk with God very much in your lifetime. And he's all the good in life. So you got to learn to walk with him no matter what. And, and when things are rough, you got to learn to press into him and, and know him, like continue knowing him. Because whatever painful thing is happening, and no matter how painful it is, the best thing you can do is to walk with God. You walk with him in it, and you let him walk you through it. And then it says, it's good to wait silently, and verse 28 repeats that. Now, I know what it means to be silent, and I think you probably do too. I don't think I need to explain it to you, but I don't accomplish it very often. Um, I don't know if you do, but especially when things aren't going the way that I really want them to, I generally have some things to say about it, because it's really, it's way harder to Um, accept something than it is to complain about it. You know, complaining comes pretty naturally to me. Maybe some of you, I'm not sure. Um, And the thing is, the book of Lamentations, especially this chapter, show us that, that there's freedom to express my complaint to the Lord, right? There's a time to do that. Jeremiah did not hold back. We went over that. He complained for the first 20 verses of this chapter. I mean, a lot, you know? And we see that in, in lots of places in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, you know, um, Psalm 142, 2 says, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. So there, it's good to express your heart to the Lord. It's good. And you should do that. God can take it. You know, he does not get overwhelmed by your emotions. God has never been overwhelmed by your emotions. Isn't that comforting? However, it is possible for you to get overwhelmed by your emotions. So, after telling the Lord what's on your heart, it's time to be silent and to wait expectantly for his rescue. Because if you can continue venting after that, you'll just become a giant ball of emotion and roll down the hill. And this, I mean, just listen to the voice of experience, okay? So, Psalm 62, 5 says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. So there's a time to express your heart to the Lord, and then it's time to listen and wait and watch him work. Um, Verse 29 and 30 say, to put your mouth in the dust, 
Give your cheek to the one who is striking you and take the reproach. No, thank you. But in other words, get low, eat dirt, and don't try to defend yourself. It's a picture of humility. It's really hard. Um, Most of us, especially in the middle of a trial, will either kind of wilt in self-pity and despair or will puff up in rebellion, determining to fix what God got wrong. But both of these options are rooted in pride. And God is saying, don't do that. If, if I'm disciplining you or if I'm allowing something difficult to happen to you, the correct response is to submit and, and keep trusting him. So when our baby, um, his name is Titus, he's about one, when he turns three, he'll probably start asking why about everything because that's what three-year-olds do. I don't know if you know any three-year-olds, but that's kind of what they do. And the thing is, even the most patient, loving parent cannot possibly satisfy all their questions because the three-year-old does not have the intellectual capacity to understand all the things he's even asking about, right? So for example, in a couple of years, Titus comes to me and he's like, Ma, why is the sky blue? You know, then I'll be like, well, thank you for asking. The sky is blue because, and then I'll look it up on Google, and it'll say the electromagnetic electromagnetic light waves travel through the atmosphere and the blue wavelengths are the ones we see, you know? And he'll say, why? And then I'll say, oh, well, because the longer wavelengths pass through and the shorter wavelengths are evaporated by gas molecules. And then he'll say, why? And I'll say, uh, well, the blue light is absorbed and, um, you know, spread in different directions and scattered throughout the sky. And then he'll say, why? And I'll say, look, kid, <laughs> when you grow up, you can be a physicist. But until then, the sky is blue because I said so. And then he'll just run off to play and he'll be fine. He won't even care, you know, because he really doesn't even need to know why the sky is blue. And he doesn't even really care why the sky is blue. And he couldn't understand it even if, even if it was explained really well. Like, even if I made a science project poster board, you know, and a PowerPoint presentation and I hired, uh, like, I rented a guest scientist, like, maybe one of you could come and explain it, you know, instead of Google, and he still wouldn't understand it. And the point is that God is higher than us, and we will never comprehend everything he's doing. You know, um, there, sometimes we can look back and see um, some of his protection and his good intentions and his perfect care. Sometimes he under, helps us understand part of it. But we're just never going to be on his, on his intellectual level. You know, he is higher than us in every way. That's what makes him God, and it's good, you know, but he's higher than us. So, um, so we'll never fully understand. But this section of instructions ends with a promise in verse 31 and 32. It assures us that the Lord's discipline is not final and it's never wasted. We know from Scripture that trials are to be expected. You know, suffering gives us a reason to look forward to heaven. And it helps refine our character, and it allows us to share Christ's suffering We also know that suffering will end for all believers. Um, In 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says that we have an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs all trouble. Like no comparison, it will be worth it. 
But as we wanted, it's important to remember that um, difficult circumstances are not the end of the road. God isn't interested in destroying his children, but he wants to bring them through to a place where they know him more intimately and trust him more completely. So there is life beyond your difficulty, no matter how difficult it is. Because if he causes grief, he will have compassion because of his loving kindness. So the way to have hope in the midst of difficult circumstances is to believe the Lord is who he says he is and to keep walking with him. There are two roads that lead through trials. It's like a fork. There's a fork in the road. Um, The first one is to continue complaining, which leads to disbelief and disobedience. And you give God, you know, you just give him a cold hand and, and you harden your heart towards him. The second road is to trust in his loving kindness, even when you don't feel like you're experiencing it. Um, The first road leads you deliberately away from God and all of his goodness. And the second road keeps you walking towards him. The bottom line is you have to choose if you're going to take the road that indulges your emotions or if you're going to stand on the truth even when it doesn't feel true. Because you can follow your heart off a cliff or you can walk with Jesus to life and freedom, but most of the time you can't do both. So you have to choose to trust God's promises, even when you feel alone or afflicted. So anytime you start to taste gravel in your mouth, um, you wanna remember who the Lord is and make a decision to put your trust in him, to depend and search for him, to wait for him and continue walking with him and to humble yourself before him. Some of you might be going through something really hard right now. Some of you might not be, but some of you might be. And um, we want to know. We want to know about it. There's a QR code on the back of the chair in front of you. And when you scan it, there's going to be a place that you can put your prayer request. And we want to pray for you. Like, we care about you. We want to know what's going on if you're walking through something hard. And on that same form, there's some other boxes that you can check to respond to God. Some of you might be thinking, it's really hard for me to remember who the Lord is because I don't know who he is. And that might be because you only have like a surface knowledge of him, or that might be because you've never given your life to him. You know, Matt was telling us how he sat in a lot of Bible teaching and like never responded to God. Um, But the message of the Bible is really clear that God loves us, you know, and he wants to have a relationship with us, but sin has messed that up. Like Matt said, we've given God this like rejection button, you know, and we've said like no to him. And so we've broken that relationship and God was not okay with that. He wants to be with us. So he came and lived his whole life perfectly. And then when he died on the cross, he made the payment for our sin so that we could be made right with him by trusting and believing in him, putting our trust in him. So some of you might need to do that tonight. And there's a place to indicate that on that same form. And um, you're going to have some time to respond. I'm going to pray, and the band is going to come up, and you can use any of that time to scan that um, code and just tell us what's going on. If you have a prayer request, if you need to respond to God in some way, you know, the BCM um, wants to help you know God in an intimate, life-changing way, like a way that changes everything in a deep, personal way. So um, be sure to just tell us what's going on. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that knowing you really does change everything. 
And thank you that you are good and you really care for us. You apply all of your giant, pure goodness towards us and you want us to walk with you. We just, um, we wanna learn to trust you more even when it's hard. And sometimes it is hard because we can't tell what you're doing. We don't know what's going on. But Lord, help us to trust you more and help us to press in to knowing who you are and your character. We love you in Jesus' name.